0: place of worship is not the temple in Samaria. It's not the temple in Jerusalem either. With the coming of Christ, the legitimate place of worship is Christ Himself.
1: Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Hello again, I'm Bill Wright and today Tom concludes his current series titled, The Heart of Worship. What does it mean for our worship to be centered in Jesus Christ? How are we to worship in spirit and in truth as Christ directs in John chapter 4? What should be your appropriate response to the glory of God? Well, throughout our study, Tom has answered these questions as we've examined the core themes of biblical worship. And as we close out our series today, Tom will present two final and direct applications for those of you who desire to worship in spirit and truth. You will worship through Christ, and you will worship Christ. Open your Bible now as we join our teacher here on The Word Unleashed.
0: So God had told... The people through Moses that a great prophet was coming, and they came to understand that that was the Messiah. The Jewish people understood that it was Messiah. The Samaritans understood that it was Messiah. And when you come to the New Testament, this passage is used by the early in the early sermons in Acts as proof that it was Jesus Christ, that this was none other, this great prophet was none other than Jesus Christ. You see it in Peter's sermon in Acts 3. You see it in Stephen's sermon in Acts 7. They go back to this passage and say, that's Jesus. He is the Messiah, the prophet to come. So the Samaritans, including the sinful woman, anticipated the prophet who would come. And her knowledge of this prophet is really quite remarkable notice that she knew he would be a unique person that he would be sent by God that he would be specially anointed by God that's what the Hebrew word means in fact the Hebrew word is ha ha being the the article the definite article the and mashiach being the word for the anointed one the messiah when that word Hamashiach is transliterated into English or Greek, it becomes Messias in Greek or Messiah in English. When it is translated into Greek, it becomes Christos. And when Christos is put into an anglicized form, it becomes Christ. So in your Bible, in the New Testament, whenever you read the word Christ, you are in essence reading the Greek translation of that Hebrew term, Hamashiach, the Messiah. So Hamashiach, Messiah, and Christ are all exactly the same thing. They all mean the Anointed One, someone specially selected and appointed by God. In other words, this woman understood that God had promised to send a unique person specially anointed. The question is, anointed for what? What was he especially anointed to do? Look at verse 25. I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christos, or in Greek, Christos. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. The Greek word that's translated declare here means to announce, to proclaim, to teach, to preach. The Messiah would be especially anointed to be a teaching prophet. That's what Jesus was, wasn't he? He did miracles, but the thrust of his ministry was his teaching. You see, when Messiah comes, this woman was saying, he will tell us all that we need to know about God he will supply our defects, he will correct our mistakes, he will put an end to all of our disputes, he will tell us the mind of God fully and clearly, and he'll keep nothing back that we need to know. This woman was saying to Jesus, listen, you've had some interesting things to say in this conversation. Some of them may be true and some of them may not be, but I know that Messiah is coming, and when he comes, I'll listen to him, and I'll believe what he says. I'm going to wait to hear from him. She understood that the Messiah was the only true source of truth and that he was the only true mediator between God and men. She understood a lot. And in response to that, for the first time in his ministry, Jesus announces that he is none other than the long-awaited Messiah of Israel. Look at verse 26. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Now understand that Jesus' words to this woman are more than a statement of fact. He doesn't just want her to know this. This is, in fact, for her and for us, an invitation to believe in him. I am he. I am the Messiah. Listen to me. Believe in me. This woman, I believe, responded. If you go back to John chapter 4, look down at verse 41. Later in that same day, in that same story, many more believed because of his word, that is in the town where she lived, And they were saying to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and know that this one is indeed the Savior of the world. She had come to the conclusion he was the Savior of the world. She had shared this with these people, and they had come to embrace the same thing with their own ears from the mouth of Christ. I believe we'll someday meet this woman in heaven, and we'll have the joy of asking her more about this remarkable conversation but I don't want you to miss the profound lesson in this verse the very first time that Jesus announced that he was Israel's Messiah he tells a half-breed Samaritan a woman and not just any woman mind you but a terribly immoral woman this is God's grace God's grace on display that day at the well outside of Sychar. It's not surprising that John included this encounter between Jesus and the woman when the other gospel writers don't, because John tells us near the end of his his gospel why he was writing. You remember it? John chapter 20, he says, many other signs Jesus performed in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. In other words, there are a lot of things I could have told you. There are a lot of different stories and accounts I could have included. But these have been written. John's saying, here's why I wrote. So that, in order that, you, you the reader, may believe that Jesus is the Christos, Hamashiach, the Messiah, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. You see, true worship, John wanted us to know, and Christ wanted this woman to know, must not be general, but it must be centered in Him. It must be centered in Christ. Now, how does this fifth law apply? Practically, what does it mean for your worship to be centered in Christ? Sheila and I were talking last night, and. I sometimes use the expression Christ-centered or cross-centered. And I've become more convinced than ever through this year that both I individually, my family, and our church must be both Christ-centered and cross-centered. But I think we get so used to those expressions, we don't even hear them anymore. Yeah, cross-centered, Christ-centered, sure. What does that mean? What does it mean for our worship to be centered in Jesus Christ? Well, there are two direct applications. First of all, we must worship whenever we worship, privately, corporately, whenever, now and throughout eternity, we must worship through Christ. We must worship through Christ. Always remember that Christ and Christ alone is your mediator. Let me put it differently because there's another word we don't often really think about listen carefully Christ is the only accepted channel through which your worship or all true worship can flow to the Father let me say that again Christ is the only accepted channel through which all true worship flows to the Father to be truly worshiping we must worship the Father through the Son isn't that what Jesus himself said in John 14? You remember verse 6? He says, I am what? The way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man comes to the Father but what? Through me. Don't even think about it. You can't get to God except through Christ. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. The Apostle Paul writes, there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. C.W. Bromley wrote, Christian worship is at its very core and essence the worship of God the Father through God the Son. Listen to Martin Luther, the great reformer. He says, knowing Christ... And knowing the Father are tied together and are one and the same knowledge. This is why I have often said, Luther says, this is why I have often said that the Father is known only in Christ and neither will nor can be reached and found, worshipped and invoked apart from this mediator. For outside Christ there is nothing but idolatry and merely a false imagined notion about God. Truly worshipping God consists in believing on him whom the Father has sent, Jesus Christ." Luther is absolutely right. Now let me ask you this morning, do you really understand and believe this, that you have no chance of ever approaching God except through Jesus Christ? That's it. This morning, if you find yourself here like this woman bearing the load of your sin, knowing your guilt before God, really not sensing any hope, There's hope for you, but the only way you'll ever get to God is through his Son, is by bowing your knees to his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the only way. And if you're already a Christian, do you understand that there will never come a time, there will never come a time in this life or eternity when you can approach the Father except through the merits and work of the Son? I told you that we were recently away at a family reunion. It was back in South Carolina, which is about an 18-hour trip, and so we decided our family actually likes car trips. I know there's something probably wrong with us, but that's okay. There's something probably wrong with you, too. And we, we enjoy them, and so we decided to take that 18 hours and break it into two days and stop at every Cracker Barrel we saw on the way. And so when we got to the end of 12 hours the first day, We began looking for a place to stay, and we came to that wonderful city of Pell City, Alabama, just east of Birmingham, and there we found a Hampton Inn. Now, sometimes we all stay together in one room, but there are five of us, and um, so it's getting a little tighter. So occasionally, and because it had been a particularly hard time, I decided, all right, we're going to get two rooms and uh, two adjacent rooms so that we can all have a little more space I let the girls into their room, and then I walked just out in the hall and to the door of the adjoining room, and Sheila and I walked into that room with the, the desire to put our stuff down and then open the door between the two rooms so that we could have free flow and access, and we got into the room that was our room, and as it turned out, it was also someone else's room. Um The room had been carefully prepared by the hotel staff for a new guest. You know how they put all the little cards and everything was out. They were expecting a new guest. However, there was a a briefcase that wasn't my briefcase. There was a suitcase that wasn't our suitcase. And there were some cosmetics and pharmaceuticals in the bathroom that weren't ours. It's a pretty strange feeling to find yourself in someone else's room. It's like walking into somebody else's house and realizing this isn't my house. I shouldn't be here. And so we quickly backed out of the room, and I went down to the hotel staff, and I expected, listen, this is is an understandable mistake. Somebody is in this room, and they accidentally double-booked the room, and they've sent me to a room where they already have a, a guest. Well, things got stranger. I entered the sort of twilight zone because the hotel staff, the person that was at the desk, Uh, he said well that's very strange let me come up with you to the room so we went back up to the hotel room that was supposedly our room but was also somebody else's and we went inside the room and he checked the briefcase he looked at the business cards he looked at the luggage tag and he looked at the pharmaceuticals in the in the bathroom and all of them had the same name so it was clear that this person had been checked into this room not so In fact, the hotel checked their registry, discovered that they had absolutely no record of anybody by that name having been there in the past, the present, or having reservations for the future. I said, you know, you can have that room. I think I'm, (laughs) I think there are too many of us trying to stay there tonight. Here I was in a place I didn't belong. How? Because somebody had given me an access key. You know, in the same way, you and I don't deserve to approach the Father. We don't really belong in God's presence. But we can enter his presence in worship because we have an access key. It's Jesus Christ. Or in the words of the New Testament, we have a great high priest. We have access or as Peter says it in 1 Peter 2.5, we offer up spiritual sacrifices to God through Christ Jesus. True worship can only occur through the intercession of Christ, our appointed mediator, and our great high priest. That is why when we worship, in whose name do we pray? In the name of Christ. When we ask for forgiveness, we ask for forgiveness because of Christ. When we give our confession, what is the simplest Christian confession in the New Testament? Jesus is Lord. That's our confession. When we give, why do we give? What is the impetus Paul gives to have us give and worship? It's because of the gift of Christ given to us. When we preach or teach, what's the theme of our teaching and preaching? Paul said we we teach or preach Christ and him what? Crucified. When we take of the Lord's table, it's because it memorializes the cross work of Christ that reconciled us to God. So if your worship is centered in Christ, you will worship through Jesus Christ. You will worship the Father always and only through Christ. You don't have any access apart from him, and neither do I. But it also means not only that you will worship through Christ, but here's the other direct application, you will worship Christ. Not only worship through Christ, but you will worship Christ. Christ is not only the channel of our worship, he is also the object of our worship. Jesus is the Son of God, or we could say God the Son, and therefore he himself is worthy of worship. You can see this throughout the New Testament. You see it in the Gospels, how Jesus was worshipped. If you start in Matthew, in Matthew chapter 2, right after Jesus' birth, representatives from other nations come and worship him. You remember the wise men come and worship Christ. In Matthew 14, the disciples worship Christ after he walks on the water. In Matthew 21, shortly after the triumphal entry, children and others in the temple area worship and praise Christ. At the crucifixion in Matthew 27, only two people worshiped, primarily, and that was the centurion and the dying criminal. In Matthew 28, shortly before Christ gives the Great Commission, the eleven worship. You go to the Gospel of John, John tells us that Christ was the object of worship. In his gospel, I told you when we began our study of John chapter 4, that John uses the Greek word for worship 11 times. Nine of those are in that paragraph in chapter 4, but there are two others. Let me show you one of those. Turn to John chapter 9. John chapter 9 and verse 35. This is the man born blind. You remember Jesus healed him, and now Jesus has found him. Verse 35 says, Jesus heard that they had put him out, that is, Disassociated him from the synagogue put him out of the synagogue and finding him jesus said do you believe in the son of man? He answered and said who is he lord that I may believe in him Jesus said to him you have both seen him and he is the one who is talking with you and he said lord I believe and he worshiped Christ It's clear that Christ was worthy of worship that he received worship, but listen carefully Christ is not merely worthy of worship. It was the Father's plan that Christ be the object of your worship. Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 5, verse 23. He says, and I'm paraphrasing the previous verses, the Father's goal is, and then this is verse 23 of John chapter 5, the Father's goal is that all will honor that's a synonym for worship, that all will honor the Son even as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Jesus said, listen, it was God's design, it was the Father's design that you treat me like you treat him, that you worship me like you worship him. And Philippians chapter 2 tells us that someday every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God. Wherever you look in Scripture, go to the end of Scripture, go to Revelation, see the scene in heaven, you find Jesus being worshipped. You see, that is what distinguishes true Christian worship. If our singing and our teaching and our prayers don't consistently focus on Jesus Christ, then it's not worship. You know, many Christians and churches today have lost this. They talk generically about God, loving God, serving God, living for God, and all those things are fine as far as they go. It's well-intentioned. But folks, biblical Christianity is centered in Jesus Christ. True worship must not be generally about God, but must have as its object Jesus Christ if someone of another faith could come in here and affirm everything we say because we never really allude to the fact that Jesus Christ is the object of our worship, then we have failed as a Christian church. The Samaritan woman was all concerned about the place of worship. But in this conversation, she learns that the true place of worship is not a place, but rather a person, the Messiah, Jesus himself. Turn to John chapter 2. Because early in his ministry, Jesus made this very point. I think sometimes we overlook it because of another point that's made in the context. John chapter 2, the first cleansing of the temple early in Jesus' ministry. After he cleanses it, verse 18 says, the Jews say, what authority do you have for doing this? Verse 19, Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews said, wait a minute, it took 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to raise it up in three days? They were talking about Herod's temple. But he, John tells us, verse 21, that is Jesus was speaking of the temple, our sanctuary, the holy of holies of his body. Now think about that for a moment. Jesus was saying, that isn't the temple, I'm the temple, I'm where you worship God. The place of worship is not the temple in Samaria. It's not the temple in Jerusalem either. With the coming of Christ, the legitimate place of worship is Christ himself. For to me, we should be able to say, to worship is Christ.
1: That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed, and that concludes our current series, The Heart of Worship. Join us again next time as Tom begins a brand new series. And Tom, we've had a long and productive study over the past several programs. Before we end our time today, could you share a few final thoughts to wrap everything together for us?
0: You know, friend, we've learned so much as we've worked our way through this issue of worship in the Scripture I hope you've gotten the big point, and that is that you are a worshiper. You were made to worship, and if you don't worship the true God, you're not going to stop worshiping. You're going to worship something else. But it's my prayer that if you have come to know the true God through His Son, Jesus Christ, if He has sought you out as a worshiper, that you will give yourself to what you were made to do, what you were made to do in this life, and what you were made to do forever and that is to worship the God who created you and redeemed you through His Son, Jesus Christ, in spirit and in truth.
1: Thanks, Tom. And friend, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. We'd love to hear your story and how God is enriching you in your walk with Christ through this ministry. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at the wordunleashed.org. Again, that's listeners at the wordunleashed.org. Or you can call us at 1-877-577-WORD. And remember to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. You know, The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do that by visiting the Again, that's the And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth.